Okay, go ahead and flip to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Our sermon this morning, Vaccines, the Gospel Imperative to End the Silence. I'm going to read these three verses, uh, but you can flip to Deuteronomy 28 and uh, just hold your, hold your finger there. Deuteronomy 28. All right, I'll start by reading Ephesians 5.11. Says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. Romans chapter 3, verse 8 also says this. And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. And then Job chapter 14, verse 4 says this. Who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one. Let's pray. Our Father, most gracious God, we come now to hear the ethics of your law word, and we pray that our understanding would be spirit-saturated, biblically informed, and of course, above all, Christ-exalting. We pray that we, would, that we would be shaped by your wisdom so that we may combat the erroneous worldviews that we see all around us, especially when it comes to the vaccine industry. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name I pray, amen. So at first glance, it kind of seems rather strange to hear about a pastor preaching on vaccines. After all, the word itself doesn't appear in the Bible. Uh, the science is uh, so settled, apparently, and we're supposed to only preach the gospel, right? Wrong. <laughs> there are lots of words that don't appear in the Bible. The science is not settled, but obfuscated. And as we'll see today, preaching the gospel, if we're true to the preaching of the gospel, means that we are preaching the kingdom of God, which is the content and meaning and the impulse behind the gospel. So there are certainly those whose gospel is so far removed from this earth that it serves no real purpose other than saving souls for heaven, which incidentally is a shared pre presupposition of the Gnostic worldview behind statism and big pharma. A gospel which is devoid of the kingdom of Christ is a gospel that Jesus did not preach. A gospel which has no real-time historical application for every area of life is, of course, a gospel that Jesus did not preach. Our gospel is quite big enough to handle anything and everything in history and in life. When pastors and churchmen balk at the idea of preaching a sermon like this, it's either coming from unbiblical presuppositions, in other words, their gospel is actually quite impotent, or it is coming from the same erroneous carnal beliefs of those whom we intend to critique today, right? Or their philosophy of ministry is very power-oriented, and thus it is basically Gnosticism in practice, just like the vaccine industry. So the reason, we need to, we, the reason we need to address this, the reason that pastors should address the topic is because, number one, it is the gospel of the kingdom of God, and thus the rule and reign of Christ is applicable now, and it should inform our approach to life. Two, every single area of life is underneath the supreme authority of Jesus Christ, which is exactly what Matthew 28, 18 tells us. Three, we are called by the Great Commission to teach the nations to obey the commands of Christ, which is just a simply another way of saying that those of us 
who are obedient to the law of God are to teach the world how to be obedient to the law, word of God. Number four, using this Holy Bible, using the law, word of God, and the authority of Christ, we are to take every thought, philosophy, idea, and systemic injustice captive, making it obedient to Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. Fifthly, the church is called to be light. We're called to be light, illuminating nations in what is right and just and true. However, of course, we have become, by and large, apathetic and lazy, not involved in the things that God has called us to. Six, because of the aforementioned things, we can boil down the vaccine debate to this. We are called to the task of healing the nations, not the destruction of liberty, human rights, and life. We are called to the task of healing the nations, not the destruction of liberty, human rights, and life. So having said all that, that's why we're doing what we're doing. It's a gospel imperative. It's not only a gospel imperative to just simply talk about it, it's a gospel imperative to expose it, to deal with it. So let's consider the three main texts, and then we'll continue. Ephesians 5.11 says it clearly. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. The Apostle Paul tells Christians not to take part in the works of darkness. Now, why would he say such a thing? Well, because there's a temptation for Christians to do this sort of thing, self-consciously or unconsciously. Don't partake. Christians, the assumption is this, Christians need to be mature enough to identify the darkness. That's the assumption. You have to be mature enough to identify the darkness, which means you need more than just a steady diet of the Milky Way that you get in most pulpits. So your senses have to be trained. You have to understand the law word of God to such a degree that you are capable of wielding it as you navigate the things that are in question. So instead of participating in the wickedness, the admonition is to expose the wickedness. We are not simply to ignore the darkness as we retreat into our safe pulpits and churches. We're to reveal it, to uncover it, to to deal with it, which requires, of course, activity. In other words, activism is a thoroughly biblical concept. Now, Romans 3, verse 8 says, And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Paul says their condemnation is just. Here the Apostle Paul addresses the idea of cheap grace. Cheap grace. Christians can just go about their lives doing evil, and yet God forgives, right? God forgives us as if the gospel can be reduced down to such treachery. If God forgives our sin, they reason, then why not sin some more? If God forgives, why not just sin some more? Why not do evil so that good may come about? Why, why can't we do that? Why not, why not do evil so that forgiveness it can happen. This reasoning, of course, is faulty, and Paul goes on later in Romans chapter 6 to deal with that. But for now, note that the Bible calls us to condemn, to condemn this line of thinking when we see it in the world, when we see the world inflicting harm on others or doing evil, because they assume that somehow good is going to follow. Job 14.4 
says this, who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one. Similar to Paul's logic um, in the other two passages, Job 14.4 is the principle of trying to take that which God regards as unclean and somehow making it clean, as if we can take aborted fetal DNA, inject it into our muscle, which then moves about in our bloodstream, and then expect good things to happen. No one can do such a thing, which means the principle must be applied in an ethical manner to the vaccine debate. In a little while, we'll look at Deuteronomy 28. So just, you, again, you can turn there and keep your, keep your thumb there. I'm working with these basic biblical principles, and they are basic principles that we find in Scripture. And, of course, there are many more. So we'll kind of keep those three texts we just talked about in our minds as we navigate the issue. So what about vaccines? No movement or philosophy or cause in a society can make progress and survive for the long haul without an identifiable philosophy of life and religious presupposition being embraced by its shareholders and then foisted on its enemies. I want to say that again. No movement or philosophy or cause in society can ever make progress or survive for the long haul without an identifiable philosophy of life, there's thinking involved, right, of life, and religious presuppositions that have to be embraced by the shareholders, but it also has to be foisted on its enemies. So in other words, there's never, it's never if there's a religious commitment to these causes, but which religion is being propagated. It's never if there's a theocracy, but which God is being revered, which God is ruling. So it's not whether the vaccine industry has an agenda or not, but which agenda are they trying to promote? And what's behind all of their activity in the world? So any, any social movement, any cause, any philosophy needs these philosophical and religious pre-commitments. They need those things in order to, to advance. They need them in order to survive. So for the Christian then, we need to be able to identify what those things are, what are those philosophies, what are those pre-commitments, what are those presuppositions, and then we need to bring the gospel into those areas where obviously the gospel will thus naturally conflict with it. And what we have right now in our nation is a revitalization project known as Moloch worship. Um, I did a whole session on this in Zambia, which you can, you can find it online, so I'm not going to go into detail now, but know basically that Moloch worship is state worship. It's the div uh, divination of man through the collective means of a centralized nanny state. That's Moloch. It's the divination of man through the collective means of a centralized, bureaucratic, highly controlled, highly regulated, highly... Um, aggressive nanny state. Now, there are plenty of religious and philosophical underpinnings to the vaccine industry, and they are intertwined with the food industry, the rest of the medical industry, lobbyists, politicians, all of them. And of course, the common denominator in all of it is what we can call statism. The state is God, and thereby the state is the final standard and arbiter for all things. 
When the, when the state creates law, when lobbyists put money in the back pockets of politicians, which is what they are doing in California and other places, <laughs> all places, <laughs> when they create law, the politicians create law, it's, that's it, right? That's final, so they say. For Christians, we know that that type of thinking will not suffice. We have a higher law. The state is most emphatically not God. See, for those of us who stand on the authority of the word of God, we believe that God is the one who has the power and authority and thus the providence to legislate. He has the power, authority, and thus the providence. We don't believe the state has those three things. We don't. We do not believe the state has them. They may have power, but they don't have authority or jurisdiction, not when it conflicts with the authority of King Jesus. And they don't have providence. They don't have providence. The ability to control the created order and orchestrate history towards their own means. They don't have that. Only the triune God of the Bible possesses these things. Only King Jesus has this. And guess what? <clears throat> they know this. They know this. They know that they don't have the providence. They know that they don't have the ability to predestination. They don't have omniscience. So they know this. The Bible says they know that God exists, and yet they suppress the truth. But what you need to know is that this suppression is not without a philosophy of life and religious presuppositions. They're not just kicking and screaming because they're kicking and screaming. They're kicking and screaming and wanting forced vaccination because they know the, the God of the Bible exists and they have presuppositions. They have a philosophy of life. So just because there's a suppression of truth doesn't mean there's a vacuum of worldview. See, when enemies of the gospel, they look at the world around them and they see that chaos produced chaos, right? Nothing produced everything. And then obviously everything is disordered. Everything's disordered. Think, there, there are these rebellious Christians who dare say, you may not inject my child with a substance. So that, that's disorderly. We can't have that. We have to control it. So you know, things aren't perfect. Disease exists in God's world. Things aren't perfect. So instead of trusting Christ, who makes all things new, they want to escape it. They want to escape it. But before they can escape it, though, they want to control it to sanctify it, to purify it. They want to be as God, which means they need to attain deity, which is all to say there are naturalistic evolutionary presuppositions that fuel statism, and thus they fuel the vaccine industry. The goal of Christians, the goal of Christians is what we call perfect humanity. And we know that that's only going to be achieved when Christ wraps up history, when history is consummated. But the goal of the pagan worldview, the goal of the anti-Christian worldview, is perfect deity. We know that we won't become God. We are going to become a perfect human when Christ, um, you know, when the, when the great resurrection and judgment happens. But the goal for the pagan worldview is deity. For the pagan world, sanctification is metaphysical transcendence, right? Using the material world to somehow ascend to the heavens. 
For the Christian, we want ethical maturity and growth and wisdom and patience and joy, those things. But these worldviews are obviously at odds with one another. And (laughs) the government-controlled CDC and DHHS are not without these religious commitments. And here is what those commitments are. There are two of them. The first is alchemy. The second is Gnosticism. The first is alchemy. The second is Gnosticism. If man is going to escape living in God's world, he's either going to have to kill himself or he's going to have to figure out a way to transcend himself. He has to become a new creation. And the way this is done is through power and chemistry. He must abolish things like time. He has to reach higher consciousness. He has to escape finitude. He has to get out of himself to deal with himself. He must, quite literally, control the masses through the means of status interventionism. Government schools, abortion, vaccines, all of it falls under this draconian alchemist paradigm, including banning unvaccinated children and adults from certain quarters of society. Now, regarding alchemy, we're not speaking primarily about the ancient medieval uh, magicians who were in their laboratory trying to make their own fountain of youth, that type of stuff. Alchemy, which is what any honest, self-conscious vaccine manufacturer can call himself, is the esoteric science, the secret science of the secret religion of Gnosticism. The two go hand in hand. They go together. Chemical witchcraft under the ostensible guise of you know, preventing disease, coupled with elitism and secret knowledge, that's what Gnosticism is, is the status utopia. Control, secrecy, transcending himself, the, this claim to deity and so on. Gnosticism does not deal with sin and transgression. Gnostics don't deal in terms of sin and transgression. They don't deal in terms of ethics uh, and you know, things like moral dysfunction. It can only deal with ignorance, which is obviously the solution to ignorance is secret knowledge. You have to have secret knowledge in order to ascend. You have to have these things in order to, to make your worldview move forward. However, science, we know as Christians, is not to be a secret endeavor by the elite government-controlled set of so-called experts. It must be, and I'm going to give you several things, one, it must be a publicly disclosed process. It must be a publicly disclosed process. Where's the double-blind placebo-controlled test comparing vaccinated and unvaccinated, which would explain vaccine efficacy? Where's that? It's not, out, it's not there. Publicly disclosed process whereby there's a division of labor. There's open knowledge with careful documented data. Okay, this open knowledge is like, you know, the police investigated themselves and they found no wrongdoing. (laughs) We, the CDC, investigated ourselves and we found no wrongdoing. We, the vaccine manufacturer, investigated ourselves and guess what? We found no wrongdoing. Christianity conflicts with that idea. Open knowledge with carefully documented data. There should be no government-protected exemptions on disclosures of information and responsibility for its contents. 
There shouldn't be any of that. There should also be repeatable experimentation. Before injecting fetal bovine serum into our bodies, we should probably exhaust the study over and over again before we inject it, especially given that the, the 2011 IOM report, IOM is now the National Academy of Medicine, that's the report the CDC utilizes. That report is filled with multiple cries for more data. It's not settled science. And lastly, we want, as Christians, basic consumer law which governs injury to others. That's biblical law. Not where you just get to create your own system, police yourself, find yourself no wrongdoing, and then people are hurt and nothing can be done. There's no justice. See, that's what Christianity brings to the table. That's the Christian worldview. See, all of these are biblical principles that are scattered throughout all of the Bible. And I'll just give you one example so you understand that I'm not just making this up. Proverbs 18, 17 says, The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. Proverbs 18, 17. In other words, human life, human life should be of such a value so as to exhaust all study, testing, and prospective solutions long before administering them, long before administering vaccines. And even then, regardless of the outcome of the science, the individual's right to refuse must remain paramount. And folks, what you're watching happen right now is the removal of that, which is in complete contradiction to point number one of the Nuremberg Code regarding informed consent, regarding voluntary consent. The fact that forced vaccination is on the table should bother us. See, modern science came because of the Reformation. Modern science came because of the Reformation in Europe, not because of the Enlightenment movement. The only thing the Enlightenment has contributed to science is the attempted confiscation of science for the purposes of humanism and more power and more control. Right? When men like Freud and um, Carl Jung came along, they took these presuppositions of the Enlightenment, right? the Enlightenment is when man is the starting point for everything, not God. They took those presuppositions, they married it to alchemy. Right? Alchemy is the science of controlling the material world for the advancement of control and power. And then, of course, they brought it into the realm of psychoanalysis. All, so all this stuff is connected. It's all connected to the present topic. So instead of reformational maturity, what we can call reformational maturity and ethical progress, the Enlightenment philosopher kings, they wanted transmutation. They, they wanted deification through material control and experimentation. Think Nazi Germany. So here's the basic, here's the basic logic. Alchemy, the science, needs... Gnosticism, the religion, in order to advance. But both of them need statism in order to succeed. The, the, the alchemist's vision and, and Gnosticism, they, they need each other in order to advance, but they need the state to impose it in order to actually be successful. And I'm here to tell you that the medical industry, specifically the vaccine industry, has been commandeered by people who hold to these presuppositions. And yes, there are godly, well-intentioned Christians, 
Christian people that are involved who are unwitting participants in it. You're supposed to expose the darkness, which means you need to know the darkness. But by and large, the CDC has been allowed to concoct their formulas in secret with government-backed secrecy and control being the ultimate goal. The CDC and the manufacturers, Merck, all these other ones. With regard to alchemy, we're not speaking necessarily um, primarily about methodology only. Alchemy is usually understood as, as uh, uniting the same compounds over and over, hoping for like a different result, a different outcome. We're talking about the bizarre, secretive, cult-like practices of the vaccine industry, which goes right along with the Gnostic religion. So look no further than what's taken place in California two weeks ago. It's not going to end there. Informed consent, medical, religious exemptions, all of it will be removed by the slow boil of sadism. You don't, you know, the, the, the frog in the boiling pot syndrome. You, you don't boil the water and then put the frog in. You put the frog in and then you slowly boil the water. That's statism. That's what's happening right now to American liberties. Now, what's the worldview behind the science? Um, three books I would recommend to you. Dr. Thomas Cowan, um, heavily, uh, very helpful, very simple. Um, Dr. Moskowitz, Vaccines and Reprisal, uh, Reappraisal, rather. Um, very well documented, very scientific, lots of information. And then, of course, Dissolving Illusions by Dr. Suzanne Humphreys, which, interestingly enough, uh, she looked over my notes and gave some incredible, incredibly helpful things to say to it. So much of what I'm, my understanding really resolves or revolves around these, these three and others, of course, but especially them. Now, vaccines, what's the science? Regarding vaccines specifically, a few things need to be said. The immune system is really two immune systems. You have the cell-mediated immune system and you have the humoral, humoral system. The cell-mediated system, it consists of many different kinds of immune, immune cells, multifunctional message system is involved, that's what it is. Think, think white blood cells. If, if we were to use military terms to describe this, we could say that this system, the cell-mediated system, is the air, land, and sea attack that's controlled by different communication systems in the body. And the goal, of course, is to seek out and destroy the bad stuff, viruses, bacteria, fungus, toxins, etc. So when an unvaccinated child gets chickenpox, for example, the cells are told to go to war, and that's what they do. That's the way God has designed it to work. The end point is the white blood cells, which they either eat, the infected cells, or they disarm, they disarm the, the cells with biological mechanisms, but either way, they push it out of the body, which is where you get rashes or mucus and things like that. That's the process. So chicken pox and measles, for example, they are fought off rather easily by this God-created system, as history has shown. Nowadays, if there are five people that get the measles, the news freaks out, it's an outbreak, and the world's going to end. <clears throat> Whereas, you know, the Brady Bunch talked about the measles, and uh, everybody was cool. Interesting how things change. 
So when the front line, these frontline cellular armies do their job, they produce symptoms like a fever, which isn't sickness, but rather evidence that the body is ridding itself of something that shouldn't be there. So, which is all to say, in other words, God has created our bodies down to every last cell to fight. Our bodies were created good, fully capable of detoxing foreign invasions. And although we are broken because of sin, we need to recognize that we are in the process of restoration and we must not hinder that process through through disobedience, through Gnostic alchemy. And nor, nor should we really cavalierly attempt to, to artificially supercharge these systems with little or no regard for the litany of unintended consequences and side effects. The humoral system, that's the other side of the immune system. The humoral system is, is what comes along after the fight is over. And when the fight is over, that, that's when they show up. The cellular immune system hands over part of the antigen so that the record of infection, that record of that fight, that war that happened, is backed up in the body's memory. Lymph nodes in the form of IgG antibodies. If, if the same antigen should come around a few years later in your body and show up un, uninvited, the body is going to say, I remember you, you must now leave. That's the process. They show them the door, if, as it were. So these antibodies, they attach and remember these, these antigens, and they either kill the virus or the toxin, or they basically mark them so that other cells can come along and finish the job. So go figure, God knew what he was doing. Now the problem comes in when we introduce the alchemist dream to the process. Medicines like antibiotics, which may have their place, um, fever-reducing pills like ibuprofen and aspirin, along with vaccines, suppress the cell-mediated response. So sure, the fever may go down, but you've just handcuffed your cells from doing their job. So the process is simple. When a child get, gets the measles, the cellular armies, they chase the invaders away in an orderly fashion, and they destroy them. And then the humoral system develops antibodies that remember the virus, and they are enlisted into this rear guard immune system army to fight in the future. It's like a drafting conscription process. <laughs> so if the measles virus comes around again, these antibodies, they remember, and then they destroy it before it can go around infecting other cells. They are the immune system's standing army. Enter vaccines. Instead of trusting the immune system, process. Most vaccines, because they are basically killed microbes mixed with aluminum, it primarily involves the humoral system, the humoral uh, immune system. So by design, these vaccines, they trigger the rear end action of the immune system, that's the humoral, and they quiet down the frontline cell-mediated system. That's how the vaccine works. It's designed to work that way. So basically, the vaccine turns the core blueprints for the immune system upside down. The, instead of the front line doing its job, it suppresses the front line, and then the back line, the rear guard, is enlisted. So instead of allowing a child, for example, to get chickenpox and fight it the way his body is designed to fight, we basically in inject him with, a, with the virus, 
along with other toxins and cultural medium antigens, basically in order to, to stimulate the immoral antibody's response. So in order to, to, in order to accomplish triggering the immoral system without the use of the front line, that's the cell-mediated system, adjuvants have to be added to the vaccine. These, these ostensible helpers are irritants that basically force the humoral immune system into producing antibodies, and that, of course, is supposed to keep the sickness in question out of the body. That's the logic behind vaccines. The vaccines are simply this, this backdoor trick play on your body's natural God-given immune system. So the basic scientific problem with vaccines then is the stimulation of antibodies in the humoral system and the suppression of the frontline cells in the cell-mediated system. That's the science. Now there are two different, there are two different but similar problems with vaccines. One is dysregulation of the immune system because the vaccine is now causing an imbalance and causing mayhem in the system, which may result in a slew of reactions ranging from allergies, autoimmune disorders, chronic illnesses, cognitive disorders, swelling in the brain, seizures, permanent brain damage, and of course, God forbid, death. But the second problem with vaccines is the molecular mimicry where the, the immune system picks up from the antigen a small genetic sequence which is identical to normal human tissue. Now you might say, well, what's the problem with that? Well, this can cause antibodies to not only attack the antigens in the vaccine, but also <laughs> begin to track cells in the body that look like the vaccine antigen. So like an angry drunk, these antibodies attack the nervous system, they attack your organs, and they attack other vital tissue. Now there was a study done in Japan in 2009 that basically concluded that this overstimulation of, it was tested on animals, but the overstimulation uh, stimulation of the host's immune system, it basically leads to autoimmunity in the animals. So in short, <laughs> vaccines injure both children and adults because autoimmunity is the result of a misdirected dysfunctional immune system. And vaccines are the cause. And the question for us to think about is, what about, especially regarding the CDC schedule and the rise of autism and cancer and other medical conditions that have grown over the past 50 years? I mean, 100, 100 years ago, autism did not exist in medical literature. It was first described by a doctor in 1943. And then, of course, came the era of the vaccines, right? And suddenly we're seeing this astronomical increase in autism as the schedule grows, when hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of parents are giving testimony to the normalcy of their child prior to vaccines and a subsequent testimony to the severe disruption of that normalcy after receiving vaccines. I mean, we're talking about one in 37 boys with autism. One in 37. And what's inside the vaccines? Have you read the inserts? Have you seen the additional ingredients called excipients? Let's take aluminum, for example, which is, which is placed in many vaccines as an adjuvant in order to stimulate 
you know, antibody reactions. The FDA says that 25 micrograms a day is all the body can handle of aluminum, okay? Note that, that's what the FDA says. The amount of aluminum given to babies for the hepatitis B vaccine alone is actually 14 times the maximum allowable dose for an eight pound baby, 14 times. When you follow the CDC schedule at two, four and six month checkups, infants are given more than 1,000 micrograms. Aluminum alone is connected to various autoimmune diseases, neurological issues, autism, and even MS. Why are we injecting it into our muscles and into our bloodstream? Vaccines contain, some vaccines contain formaldehyde, which is used for embalming. It's a known carcinogen. It causes cancer. It damages the liver, it damages the kidneys. Polysorbate 80 is used as a soap to, to basically make sure the protein antigen in, doesn't get stuck to the inside of the vial. It's other, it's, it's other uses in medicine. It, it basically opens the blood-brain barrier so that drugs, would, which wouldn't normally enter the brain, can now get in. So the question is, <laughs> does polysorbite result polysorbate result in vaccine ingredients crossing into the brain? Of course. If it contains polysorbate 80, if your vaccine contains that, you can bet that toxins have a greater access to your brain and thus greater access to your neurological system and thus greater access to disease. How about the flu vaccine? The flu vaccine is popular. Uh, ironically, as I was writing this sermon, uh, the local store was promoting it as free. No co-pays, just come get your flu vaccine. thought that was hilarious as I'm writing this. Uh, flu vaccine contains thimerosal, which is a preservative which contains mercury, one of the most toxic substances on the planet. Two parts per billion is the limit for drinking water. Think about this. Two parts per billion, that's how they categorize it, for drinking water. Beyond that, it's not safe to drink. 50,000 parts per billion mercury is in multi-dose flu vaccines that's given to infants and adults. Bypassing the normal digestive security system, we inject a raft of excipient ingredients into our body tissue, suppress the body's cell-mediated system, and cause dysfunction in the humoral system, all with no scientific understanding of what the immune system does with those diverse ingredients and how they interact with each other. And we wonder why one in 59 children have autism. And government-backed agencies say that there's no real link between the two when the studies that they cite conclude that, at best, it's inconclusive. Is it really that hard to conclude that vaccines contribute to the problem along with toxic chemicals in our food system? What, have man, what hath man wrought? The last thing I'll say regarding the, the ingredients, of course, is the absolute immoral, unethical, and wicked process of injecting animal DNA and aborted fetal DNA into our bodies. 23 vaccines on the schedule contain the remains of cell protein, uh, cells, protein, and, and DNA from aborted babies, the MMR vaccine being at the top of the list. 
adenovirus, polio, the DTaP, polio, um, HIB combination, hepatitis, uh, hep A, hep A, and hep B combination, um, rabies, varicella, that's the uh, chickenpox vaccine, and the shingles vaccine, those are all on the list that contain this stuff. We are abolitionists around here, which means we hate the killing of children, and we most certainly hate the killing of children in order to sell their parts and participate in the alchemist experiment that is the nightmare of vaccines. PERC6, HEK293, IMR90, um, WI38, you have WI1 through, I believe it's 25, you have WI44, MCR5, these are codes... <laughs> And they are all, quote, human designer cells, but more accurately, we should just say what they really are. Aborted baby cells. The body is a temple, the Bible says, and it ought to be honored. It ought to be treated with respect. And I can think of no other way to desecrate a temple than to destroy children and then inject substances derived from those aborted children into our bodies. Christians are, by and large, not outraged by this aspect to the vaccine industry because the system minimizes the use of aborted baby tissue by saying that it's just a few babies and, of course, the ends justify the means. Christians are, by and large, not outraged by the sin of abortion either. And this is because Molech worship has basically taken supremacy in our churches. Even the Pope, for example has justified it essentially in the name of statism. In your Bibles there, in Deuteronomy 28, we see the unraveling of the Israelite social order. Deuteronomy 28 is a passage that describes the unraveling of the Israelite social order. And all of that's a result of God's covenant sanctions, which befall a disobedient people. This stuff in Deuteronomy 28 hadn't happened yet for Israel, but it was a warning. God had brought them into covenant, gave them promises, and told them what would happen if they obeyed, and he also told them what would happen if they disobeyed. And interestingly enough, you'll note the very first section of Deuteronomy 28 is the blessing, and the whole host of the rest is the cursing. But it's the unraveling of the social order. It's God's sanctions against disobedience. Um, the social and economic prosperity that was given to Israel as a gift would be reversed and taken away so long as Israel had pursued idols and refused to follow Yahweh. The land would be cursed. The ground would thus yield no crops. Confusion would set in. Mass confusion would set in. MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, all of it. Mass confusion. Verse 22 of your text there says this. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation. Isaiah tells us quite clearly that God also brings calamity. He also brings destruction. God will send sickness and disease, the same stuff God had done to Egypt, in order to rescue Israel. That's in verses 27 through 29. Sexual promiscuity will run rampant. Thievery and oppression will run about in the streets. Enemies will come and they will take everything they will become subservient to another nation. That's verse 36. Economic collapse coupled with debt incursion will be the new reality. Things will be so bad 
when God's judgment comes, that mothers will eat their own children, boiling them in their mother's milk. In other words, which, by the way, is documented in Josephus with regard to the siege of Jerusalem and the fall of Jerusalem when Rome destroyed it in AD 70. Things will be so bad. In other words, with that particular example, the thing that gives life, the mother's milk, will then become the means of death and destruction. See, God gave Israel the choice to choose life. He said, what I'm telling you today isn't that hard. You can follow it. Choose life and liberty and prosperity and obedience to my commands, or you will choose disobedience and then you will suffer the consequences. In other words, God sanctions unfaithful societies, unfaithful churches, unfaithful parents who give themselves and their children over to Moloch, be it the abortion industry or the vaccine industry, which can even lead to death. All of it is a self-inflicted decision. In America, we're killing ourselves. Poisoning our food, poisoning our children, if they can even get it out of the womb. If they can get out of the womb, then we'll just educate them in humanism schools. We'll destroy them that way. That's what we have. The Bible says that extraordinarily, extraordinary plagues would befall this people, a faithless people. Science won't be able to stop it. Several final points I want to address. Number one, the Christian gospel is about moving things from darkness to light. The Christian gospel is about moving things from darkness to light. Deceitfulness regarding the alleged pronouncement of safety while concealing the danger and, and opting for Gnostic secret religious presuppositions is completely antithetical to the Christian gospel. Dece de deceitfulness. Hiding or changing the ingredients and, and making it so maybe people don't recognize it. It's antithetical to the Christian gospel, which moves darkness to light. History is moving from darkness to light, not light to darkness. The CDC and vaccine manufacturers who are quick to scratch each other's financial back, even leaving one high position in the CDC to become in another high position at another pharmaceutical company, they are actively suppressing information, covering their tracks, and working to control people. That's why they're putting money in politicians' pockets. And doctors, by the way. And the fact that the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986 exists, signed by the great President Ronald Reagan, proves that nonsense. We're going to create a program where if there's an issue, we'll pay you out, but the vaccine manufacturers, they're not liable. Biblical law requires liability. There's liability for a reason. Men are held accountable to their actions. Companies are held accountable for their actions. When we remove liability, we go from light to darkness. That's the problem. Number two, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear, which means that our gospel gives us the tools to keep us from giving ourselves over to fear in every single area of life. God does not give us a spirit of fear. When the media wants to push the outbreak button, do not fear. When a doctor wants to warn you about the danger of your, uh, that your you know, unvaccinated child may pose to others, don't fear. 
And just remember that some vaccinated children shed and thus they make others sick. Measles outbreak. 99% of them were vaccinated. Go figure. Don't fear. When they tell you to fear, Christian, do not fear. When the doctors say, if you don't do this for your child, your child will die. Fire your doctor, leave, and don't ever go back. Don't fear. Know that it's a lie. See, predestination is a Christian doctrine, but the Gnostic religion needs to have some semblance of that in order to carry itself forward. And here's the, here's the semblance of that order. Here's their predestination doctrine, all right? Let's give you the disease before you get the disease. Who said I would get it? <laughs> For one. And, and who says that my body can't deal with it? And who says my God can't deal with it? Number three. That leads us to this. There is no dignity in death apart from the Christian gospel. There is no dignity in death apart from the Christian gospel. I've done funerals of believers and unbelievers, and there's a stark difference. There's no dignity in death apart from the kingdom of God. The same statist industry that butchers children, that pushes pills and pays off doctors, is the same industry that wants to control the alleged dangers of these diseases as well. Now, at best, that should give us pause for concern. But whether we live or die... What do we say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. There is dignity in God's providential hand, even in death. Those who want to do evil, assuming that good will be the result, have no dignity and no honor. Fourth, individual liberty. Individual liberty, which is what God gives us, it wanes the moment we believe the lie that God's law shouldn't be relevant to the discussion. Individual liberty wanes in society the moment that we think, the moment we believe the lie that God's law shouldn't be relevant to the discussion. And by saying that, I've just ruled out like 75% of American Christians. If we will not have the holiness of God's law, we will have the tyranny of man's law. And what you're seeing right now is evident of it. Individual liberty, um, religious exemption, informed consent. These are words that statists do not understand. You can't hold up individual liberty while trying to control people. It doesn't work. We have traded liberty for alleged security. And as someone who has once said, we'll soon find that we have neither of those. We have rejected God's law. We have replaced it with man's law, which means that we will inevitably have tyranny, a revocation of religious exemption altogether across the board. Mandated vaccines for children. You think that that's the only thing they want? You better believe it's coming for adults as well. This is power religion on display trying to control you. This and the gospel and only the gospel of Jesus Christ sets you free from all of this. You're not just forgiven for your sins, and that's a huge aspect to it. We're forgiven for our sins. We are, for, we are made right with the Creator that, who has made us. We, we are set apart, sanctified. We are, those are glorious things. But the gospel does something in the world, and it gives us freedom. It gives us liberty. It gives us protection so we don't control each other and do, dominate over one another. 
And lastly, I'll just have to say this. Are we insane? You, you may not participate in you know, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, or school, or life, or this, that, and the other. You can't participate in this thing we call the state unless we inject toxic metals, chemicals, animal blood, and aborted fetal DNA into your arm. Are we insane? It's insanity, church. It's confusion. It's fear. It's the unraveling of the American social order. It's all the things that the gospel seeks to combat and then restore. So my conclusion, we must stop waiting for the second advent of Christ to accomplish what he has already accomplished in his first coming. By and large, the Christian church is waiting for Jesus to come back to accomplish the things he's already accomplished in his first coming. The Christian worldview built Western civilization. It began to crumble, however, the moment we stopped extending those liberties to black slaves. It began to crumble the moment we gave the federal government more and more power. Thank you, Abe Lincoln. It began to crumble the moment we decided that the family unit was dispensable. It began to crumble the moment we decided the church's job was to just keep her mouth shut. It continues to crumble when we allow government bureaucrats to try and run every single area of life through the means of handing our children over to them in matters of health, education, economics, and business. You want my child, Pharaoh? No, you may not. People who love the gospel of Jesus Christ ought to be suspicious of power and money in the hands of people who are at odds with King Jesus. If I get a disease and die, let me tell you, I die. But do we not have the promise of Psalm 91.10, which says, No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Is there not blessing and obedience? Is there not cursing and disobedience? If I die, I die. Either way, in my life I have Christ, and in my death Christ is glorified. Better to die a free man than become a slave of the state with government-mandated toxicity coursing through my veins. Jesus is far, far better than that. May the gospel of the kingdom prevail and may the church repent of her apathy, start believing the promises of God, and start actually fighting. And we've only scratched the surface. We could go on and on deconstructing the alleged you know, herd immunity the lies about the role of vaccinations and er eradicating diseases in the past. Diseases went down because we had the vaccines. Well, actually, go a little bit further. They went down because we got plumbing. Thank you, plumbers. (laughs) We could go on and on talking about the whistleblowers who have exposed the lies that are being used to push this program on us. We could talk about the twisted claims of vaccination success in poorer countries, but we don't have time. Maybe another time we will. I would refer you to Jordan Wilson's articles on the matter. He responded to Joe Carter from the Gospel Coalition, the ostensible Gospel Coalition, we'll call it. You can find those articles at newcitytimes.com. Let's pray. Father, we give you glory and praise and honor because you are the only one worthy of it. We are absolutely in awe of what we see happening around us, shocked by and large. The American social order has has been crumbling for some time. 
and we know that it's because your church has been disobedient. We have opted to hide in four walls of a building. We have opted to preach only milk. We have opted for just about everything but your kingdom. And God, I pray and beg of you to give repentance to your church. That we would stop being quiet. That we would actually end the silence in the church. That we would begin to deal with the reality around us. That we would stop looking to politicians to save us when they're the very ones that are causing the problems. God, we call upon you. We call upon the name of the Lord. We call upon you, Lord Jesus Christ, to pour out your spirit, to give us repentance and pour out obedience. We want to love you and we want to love our neighbor. And it's very challenging. It's challenging when we're not repentant, when we're not obedient. But it's also challenging when the state has grown more and more powerful. But we know, King Jesus, that your rod of iron strikes down the nations. And I pray, God, that if we will not repent, that you will use whatever means necessary to bring us to that state, to bring us to repentance. Father, we glorify you. We glorify your Son, and we thank you for giving us your Spirit. Help us to discern. Help us to mature. Help us to be... To be um, salt and light in a place that's very much dead and dark. We ask this in the power of your Son's name, the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our Savior. Amen.